What's up, everyone? Thanks for joining us. Today, I am with Vocab Malone. Vocab is an expert on the Hebrew Israelites, Christian hip-hop, urban apologetics, and many other I'm just going to have a good conversation with Vocab today. I just want to say, once again, Vocab, thank you for joining me. How are you doing, Zach? Glad to be here, man. All right. So before we get started, I just want to talk a little bit about the Apologetics March Madness, because I think that's kind of how we got back into touch, because I included you in that, and then I kind of watched that live stream you had last minute with the attempt to save the world and try to get that upset with Lee Strobel, and that was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, man, I like to have fun with it. You know, sometimes I joke around and say uh, sort of a silly tagline. I'll say, uh, you know, come back next week where we make apologetics fun again. You know, like apologetics was never really fun in the first place, right? But um, it's just kind of a funny thing. And so, you know, that kind of thing fits in. I mean, I forget how many. You know, I could look it up. Lee Strobel has like 200,000 Twitter followers or something, and I have like 2,000 or something. So, so you know, it's, it's sort of – and he's got a New York Times best-selling author, you know what I mean? So I just figured we'd make a good show of it and make people be like, who, who's that? What's going on? You know, uh, and uh, so we had fun. We had fun either way. And so I think it's a good thing, you know. One person say, hey, I never heard of Mr. Strobel before vocab, but now I'll check out his stuff. I was like, all right. <laughs> you're, you're the and only one. Never heard of apologetics before then. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. I mean, a lot of people, uh, Case for Crisis, like one of the first books they read, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember I read like Case for Christ Jr. when I was like 12 or 13 or something like that. So it's really just everywhere. Oh, um, wow. So, yeah. So I just want to talk first a little bit more about this contest. I'm curious, what did you take away from it? I mean, obviously, you're still alive as we're recording this in the consolation bracket. Just keep trying to promote some apologists. But what, what were kind of some of the main takeaways you had from this? Um, a few things. Uh, one is that. Um, it's good for people to be aware of each other's ministries because uh, there's, you know, this big world and this big internet and really everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And, you know, they collaborate, they see a person here or there, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, just sorry to keep track of it. I don't even, I don't even know how you kept track of it all, but, and so I think it's, it's like uh, this way to raise awareness. Cause all of a sudden I look on my Twitter and I'm like, eh, Lee Strobel follows me. Now, maybe he'll, you know, unfollow me once he beats me, but that's cool, you know. I don't think that would have happened otherwise, and so that's great. Um, and, you know, because of that, I was thinking, man, I wonder if there's a way to uh, get sort of uh, this, you know, uh, this part of the world that's sometimes not necessarily represented, which is the urban apologetics world. It'd be great to see uh, some of my urban apologetic buddies get in on the contest as well because there's some really great brothers and sisters with some really great ministries and so it'd be nice to see them but the big thing is the cross promotion you know the synergy that's really the main takeaway and so i i enjoy that i like that and uh, not just the people but the people's audiences as well and i think that's an even bigger win and so that's great and then just the fact that um once i realized it was all being ran by an 18 year old kid i was like what that's pretty cool. They got, uh, you know, Michael Brown and James White making memes and all the stuff of each other, and it's all your fault. So that's pretty cool. It shows you, you know, with the with the Lord and the power of a, of a button, 
you could do pretty much anything. So, uh, you know, I think that, I think that was pretty cool once I figured that out as well. Yeah. I meant that I'm actually 19 now though. So, okay. Sorry. Well, you, you, actually, you know, <laughs> I mean, my, my website says I'm 18. So, I mean, yeah. it, it's kind of my fault. You actually reminded me to go and change that about us page, but I think this is a good transition because, so you're an urban apologist. And I think at least with the big names in apologetics now, there's not really urban apologetics really isn't mentioned. So I'd love to talk a little bit first off for people who don't really know what urban apologetics is. What is urban apologetics? Um, it's merely contextual apologetics. So, you know, you've got guys like um, Brett Kunkel and Maven, and they might really focus on uh, the demographic of students. And there's certain uh, contextual considerations that go along with that demographic. That demographic is mainly an age consideration, right? So when you say urban apologetics, um, it's not the best name, but you know it's kind of what's stuck. That's why some, sometimes people do say contextual apologetics. It's taking in um, certain factors and varieties that are present there that may not be identical across the board and all the areas that apologists interact with. And so there's certainly overlap. Of course, there's overlap. You know, it's not like this totally other thing, but it's also not identical. And so there's um, questions that need to be asked because uh, I'm sorry, there's answers that need to be given because some of the questions that are being asked are different. And so when we say urban, the general idea is people influenced by the the uh, the kind of understanding of of the city and the city life and so it's not just literally in the city and it's also the idea of people influenced by by that and that can change you know when you talk about urban apologetics it even actually changes from uh city to city for an ex uh, an extent so if you're in LA uh the nation of gods and earth sometimes called the five percenters are not a very present factor. But if you're in Harlem or in one of the five boroughs, or if you're in Jersey or even uh, Virginia in certain places, the five percenters, the nation of gods and earth, are a very relevant apologetic consideration. And they regularly attack Christianity with their um, when they drop science, as they say. And so uh, you look at different things. In Phoenix, you know, I'm representing Phoenix today with my. Jason Kidd and Hardaway Phoenix Suns NBA Jam jersey or sure, whatever. Uh, the demographics are a little bit different than they are in Atlanta or they are in Philly. And so there's some differences, but really it's just realizing that. So the issues of what people call white Jesus, it's a big deal. Um, the role of people who said they were Christians being involved in heinous aspects of the slave trade. These things got to be discussed. And that's not the same question. I don't think William Lane Craig is getting that question everywhere he goes. You know, I mean, whereas if you're doing urban apologetics, you can't escape it. Uh, the groups are different. Mormons aren't a very big factor. Hebrew Israelites are a big factor. So those are some of the examples. Yeah, definitely. That's something that I think is really interesting about urban apologetics is we talked about you talked about some of these factors like the Hebrew Israelites, Christians in the slave trade. These are things that at least in the apologetics books I have read from a lot of these mainstream authors, these aren't necessarily things that are really ever brought up. So are you in, you're in Phoenix now, right? Is that mm -hmm, correct? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm so, originally from Columbus, Ohio, and I've been in Phoenix for a while, yeah. Oh, Ohio, kind of rough. I'm a PA guy. Um, but with people in the Phoenix area, what are some of the main beliefs you encounter in urban apologetics ministry in Phoenix? Well, Hebrewism is growing here fast, uh, like it is uh, across the world right now. Uh, and a lot, um, a lot of the world, I'll say that. I don't think Hebrews lights are really growing in China, for example, but they are growing um, in places and and in Africa and Europe and especially the United States and the West Indies, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's growing, but uh, even the demographic of that is a little bit different because some of the Hebrews light sects believe that Hispanics are on the Twelve Tribes of Israel chart, and so a lot of the people who join up with the Hebrews Lights here in Phoenix are Hispanic. They might be, you know, somewhere from South America, uh, Chicano, you know, what I'm saying uh, different things like that. And so uh, even the Hebrew Israelism can look a little bit different here than it does uh, in other places. And you know, people get in sometimes to I don't want to say ancestor worship, but what they view as indigenous religions sometimes, and um, those are different here because there's a heavy um, Native American presence, for example, and then people might even start, you know, propping up, hey, the Aztecs did this, so, you know, there's wisdom to be found there. Now, those are not my specialty areas. I'm just kind of drawing attention to some of the ways things are different. You know, these are conversations you have on the bus, on the street. These are real conversations you can have. Uh, the main thing I do deal with is Hebrewism and Islam, which is a major growing thing in a lot of cities, including the city of Phoenix. In fact, uh, quite a few uh, jihadi guys have come out of Phoenix, uh, for better or for worse. I even know the mosque, uh, which four of them uh, emerged from. So, you know, that's a, that's another issue. Islam is a very pressing issue in urban apologetics. And I think 20 percent, uh, last thing I'll say on this, 20 percent of uh, – of uh, Muslims in America, I think, are black Americans. And I think out of half of those, they say they're converts from Christianity. So, you know, that's a real stat that needs to be taken into consideration as well. Yeah, those are really interesting statistics. I definitely need to take a look at those some more. Because, so, at least for me, I'm from a more, um, not a rural area, but kind of like in a, in the between. Like, I live in, like, a college town. So, like, we just basically have, like, college students. So we'll have, like, the melting pot, but it's more of a more educated um and you've probably seen like your typical urban area so because in an urban area obviously you have a lot more immigrants a lot more people from really everywhere um that's why i love urban areas they're a lot of fun to live in and to visit so for you obviously it's going to depend a lot um with the group when you're ministering to someone in an urban area but what are some kind of like key guidelines you have for when you're as an urban apologist trying to minister to people that um you're talking about here well i mean i guess this could go be true for lots of things and all that but um you know the fruit of the spirit you know you got galatians uh um i believe four which speaks on it and when you speak about the fruit of the spirit you know depends on how it's translated but patience long suffering gentleness Kindness, self-control, those become important because you have to have, uh, in a manner of speaking, tough skin. Um, urban apologetics can be a little more rough and tumble. It's not always two guys sitting down in front of a college auditorium, crossing their legs 
exchanging niceties about their favorite authors of uh, Western lit. You know what I'm saying? And before they de- do the debate, it's different. You have <laughs> you have uh, a different vibe where in the midst of these discussions, you know, people will make fun of the way you look. Um, you know, they'll go on your personal profiles and <laughs> they'll pull up stuff and they'll start getting into that and uh, cursing at your, I'm not saying for the Christians, but cursing at your opponent is not really considered a massive breach of decorum, you know, all kinds. Of, it's different. And so uh, I'm not saying it's always like that. Obviously, you can see um, all you can see a broad diversity. For example, if you watch the stuff that Lisa Fields of the Jude Three Project does, you're not going to see anything like what I'm describing. I'm describing sort of the the, the roads I travel on in in a sense. So you know, if you're not ready for that, um, you know, just don't do it because you're just going to get tested, and to be honest, you're going to fail if you can't handle people saying stuff about you. If you can't, if you, if if you can't handle, just you're just don't don't you're gonna cause more harm than good because you're gonna lose your temper and all this kind of stuff. So I think there needs to be a certain level of like cool, calm. You know, I, I'm okay with it now. See, I like it because I think it makes things much more interesting. You know, I think a lot of it is um some of it's sad, but a lot of it's kind of funny too. You know, it's like what what won't you know what won't they uh, do next? Like uh. Just total slander, you know. I did this thing called Cyber City. It was an all-virtual apologetics conference online. You can see it at uh, cybercityconference.com. And uh, before it even dropped, some of the Hebrew Zites were coming after me saying, uh, Cyber City, an anti-black hate rally online. <laughs> and it's like, it hasn't even happened yet. And they're like, there's vocab getting his tokens. And they're saying that I'm getting token black people to represent positions to make it look as if they represent. And I'm like, yo, the token is me. Everyone on the, on the speaking gamut, if, if there's any token, it'd be me. I'd be the token. Not the, anyways, It's just funny. You know what I'm saying? So there's that kind of thing that can happen. So people need to be aware of that. Also, um, things get politicized um, maybe a little bit faster than usual. And so if your politics is near and dear to your heart um, to where you, you can't stand criticism of certain political issues or political parties or political figures, and you just you don't know how to um, uh, sort that out and keep the main thing the main thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then um, go back to the drawing board because that is a quick way to get you off track where somebody mentioned something political, and you can if, – if, if you're not properly parsing these things out, you'll start arguing about politics instead of – really trying to share the gospel. And next thing you know, you know, you're trying to get someone to vote a certain way, which um, I'm not saying is bad, but it doesn't save anybody's soul from hell. And so uh, what's the main thing? And so you got to, I think, be ready for that. Really keep your eye on the prize, your eye on the ball in that sense. So those are some of the differences. You know, I don't have a long list of rules of do's and don'ts. Even people that I know, last thing I'll say this, who uh, excel at certain skill sets and and knowledge bases that are helpful to have as an urban apologist. Even some of them will tell you, vocab, I don't go out on the street and deal with Hebrew Israelites or deal, you know, with some of those groups on the street because I see how they sometimes might wild out out on the street. And I just know that it's not going to be good for me. Whereas, you know, I can go out on the street and I know already I'm not going to lose my temper. If anyone's going to lose their temper, it's going to be them. I'm not going to try to make them lose their temper, but I already know there's really nothing that they're going to be able to do that is gonna um, that is gonna, it's just not gonna work, 
And so I know that. So I go out on the street. Now I also realize that that sort of hard level street level apologetic engagement is, you know, it's not for everybody. And so even some of the urban apologists you kind of recognize that. So it's just a different field, a different era area. And um, until until you're in it, it's I think it's good to just listen and learn. Not that I've got it all figured out. But it's good to just listen and learn instead of being like, well, they should do it like us and they should do this and they shouldn't do that. And they, it's like, hey, just maybe people in the field have some kind of understanding of the context that you're not aware of. Just just wait it out and see before you say, well, you should do this, you do, you should do that. Because, again, everything's not a cross, you know, cross, you know, where you're sitting with your legs crossed, uh, you know, in front of some proper prim and proper people. You know, everything's not like that. And uh, that's okay. That's all right. So it can be a different field. Yeah, for sure. So one thing you talked about is how you personally can not get, like, offended if someone's just going to, like, decide, like, I don't really care what Vokev has to say. I just want to go after him. I want to get him rattled. So when people are going after you, when they're swearing at you or talking about your family or something along those lines that would get a lot of people either to – go crazy or to like just like walk away how do you keep your cool in those situations well um every now and then there's something they'll say that i'll say man i really wish you would not have said that you know but uh, for the most part i think it just reflects on you know the weakness of their worldview because i'm like now why are you saying that about me you know for example they'll they love to make fun of my rapping Look at vocabulary. He failed as a rapper, so now he's trying to make it as a Christian apologist. <laughs> and they'll play some old clip of me rapping. Ah, look at the way he said this. Oh, man, he's trying to be a culture vulture, this guy. Uh, I'll say, now, why are you doing that? If you have strong arguments against what I am saying or you have strong responses to my critique of your position, why are you talking about what you perceive as my lack of rapping ability? You are literally changing the subject. From the topic at hand, which is, say, um, you know, can you demonstrate that the Judaism practiced in West Africa uh, is identical to the Hebrews lights claim? And you can can you demonstrate the ethnicity of the practitioners just by the fact that, you know, there are practitioners there? You know, this is something that's kind of coming up recently. Um, can you can you do that? If you want to talk about how bad my rapping is instead, to me, that shows your position is thin. It shows you don't actually want to talk about the evidence or if anytime someone asks you a question, this, this literally happened. This really recently happened. We asked the guy a question about something he had, had said in regards to Judaism in West Africa. This is just a kind of a hot topic right now on the internet with Hebrews alleged. And uh, he said, I've decided that I will no longer answer questions unless they're by black people who are on the, who are Israelites. <laughs> and, and me and my homie like, bro, okay, that's fine. But you don't do that kind of stuff unless unless you're weak, unless what you're holding to is weak. And look, I don't want the guy who said that to uh, face judgment, not for what he thinks about Judaism in West Africa, but all his other false beliefs he has built up, which is a denial of the Trinity, uh, denigration of the deity of Christ, a misunderstanding about what really God's word is, uh, a, a misunderstanding about salvation, you know, Judaizing tendencies, all these really problematic er- areas, total uh, misalignment of old and new covenants, all that kind of stuff, you know. We're trying to kind of say, hey, hey, the wise man builds his house upon the rock, and we're trying to show right now you're on sinking sand. 
And so some of the questions where we poke and prod, it's not just designed, at least on my end, just to be like, gotcha. It's designed to say maybe, hey, you, you know, you're standing on sinking sand. So when they switch to personal attacks and stuff, to me, it's an indication of the insecurity of the person holding the position. I had a guy literally just the other day say, if vocab you, if you criticize one more of my videos and you put me, my voice, if you play a clip of me in any more of your videos, I am going to sue you. This is this. His, I'll say his name because because I almost want to um, like goad him. You know, are you really going to sue me, Pastor Kelly Richardson? This is supposed to be a Hebrew Israelite pastor, so he's like this synthesis of Christian Hebrew Islamism. He's going to sue me. Because I criticized a video he made about Hebrew writing on pews in Savannah, Georgia, which it's really not Hebrew writing. It's scrawls or West Arabic classical African script, one of the two. Uh, but it's clearly not Hebrew of any sort, and that's why no one can translate it as Hebrew. But who says, I'm going to sue you in response? <laughs> who, who does that? That shows me, yo, there's a serious lack of confidence in the positions you're taking and holding to. And so when people do that sort of thing, I almost really— sort of feel sorry for them, you know? And don't get me wrong, there's sometimes where uh, I've been in certain situations where one of my buddies, like we were in Chicago once, and there's like 40 of these guys, and I'm, no, I'm not exaggerating, and there's about six of us. Uh, actually, there's about four of us and 40 of them. So my buddy was like, hey, vocab, they're starting to get riled up. We need to, it was Laron, my man, uh, Laron, he goes, but G-Con, he's like, we gotta get out of here. And he kept on pulling me out. He's like, man, I see these guys walking behind you. They're starting to get upset. Like, And so, you know, I'll say, okay, maybe it's a good time to go, you know? Uh, but, but really I almost feel sorry for them when they come at me that way. Again, every now and then I scratch my head and say, gosh, don't you have any boundaries? You know, you're talking about my child who, who's eight years old. Like what is, you know, you're kind of like, what's wrong with you? You know, what I mean? sometimes I do feel that way, you know, when they do that kind of thing, but by and large, I'm like, all right, but back to the matter at hand, back to the issues. They don't want to discuss the issues. That shows there's a fundamental problem there. And so I think uh, ultimately it's helpful. It's sort of it's sort of um, showing the weakness of what's happening. You know, you don't need to do that if you stand on the rock. So that's my thoughts about it, Zach. Yeah, that's a lot of great thoughts. Uh, I completely agree with you. You're talking about how a lot of times people are just bring these like emotional appeals or they'll just kind of like, throw random things that don't relate at all to what we're talking to as apologists. They'll just be like, and this goes really, I think, across all beliefs. They'll just put these, like, I don't even want to call them logical fallacies because they're really just throwing random things out there that don't even make any sense, that don't relate to the topic at all. Um, yeah, I'll give you an example, one real quick. Someone will say, the only reason you're saying this vocab is because you're a racist. And, I'll, and let's say I respond this way. Okay, let's just say I was racist. That still doesn't answer whether or not this particular issue is true. And they'll be like, oh, see, Vocab admitted he was racist. <laughs> you know, that's that's like how I, that's kind of how it goes down. But but you're right. You know, it's it's like, come on, man. Can't we just stick to the facts, please? You know, it it can be tricky, man. You have to constantly be guiding them back. You know, you, imagine uh, he, the Hebrews lights are on a bike. You, you, it's like you need to be their training wheels. You need to keep them balanced. You need to keep them, you know, because they're constantly going to go all over. Christian apologists, someone's got to be the training wheels on their bike, you know, be like, okay, stay stay in your lane. <laughs> yeah, I've seen this with people that I interact with aren't, who aren't Christians. One person I talk to all the time, not a Christian, will be making these progress. We'll be talking about these things like, yeah, I see what you're saying, but it's like, but this, this same kind of question that doesn't really relate over and over again. And 
I think I just want to transition here a little bit. You're, we've been talking a lot about the Hebrew Israelites. So I think for people, I mean, obviously people who listen to what you say all the time, they're going to know who the Hebrew Israelites are. But for people who listen to my show, listen to different things that I'll talk about, I really haven't, I don't even know personally that much about who the Hebrew Israelites are. So could you just go into a little bit of detail about who these Hebrew Israelites are, where they came from, where they are now, things like that? Yeah, the first time you see this group appear is right after Reconstruction. So that's in the period of, uh, of American history, uh, right after the Civil War. That's the first time you get people saying, hey, actually, black Americans are the true Israelites. You know, that's kind of the central thesis there. Uh, which is not actually heretical in itself. It's more of a matter of history. The problem is it acts as sort of a magnet, which tends to attract all other kinds of heresies, such as the Judaizing tendencies and a massive confusion about the nature and function of the Old and New Covenants. Is as if the books of Galatians and Hebrews and Romans do not exist in the Bible. And indeed, some Hebrews lights kick Paul out of the canon. So uh, Hebrews lights then went on, and you see another little growth explosion right after World War I. Uh, 1919 is a big, important, a lot of ha stuff happened there, especially in New York, especially in Harlem. Then uh, you give it 50 years, and you see another growth explosion. It's 1969, so kind of late civil rights era. So if you notice, these are all times of social upheaval and change, especially for the relevant communities involved. And then you see their kind of recent upsurge, recently um kind of midway through obama's president's presidency and it really has to do more with the rise of social media is coming to the forefront more and more uh, of american pop culture along with the advent of social uh wait did i say social media what i meant social issues coming to the forefront along with the ability to access social media so it's kind of social media plus social issues equals this last kind of late 2000s uh surge the central thesis is black folks in America are actually the true Israelites. And the second part of that identity doctrine, as it's sometimes called, is that there are salvific implications, ecclesiastical implications, meaning there are theological implications for that idea, the fact that, hey, black folks are the true Israelites that the Bible speaks of. And so uh, you'll have some say, hey, that means, like uh, ISUPK will say, in the future vocab is going to be my literal slave. He's going to literally pick my cotton, literally make my coffee, which I'm Italian, so I don't have any problem making espresso for a guy, you know? And uh, he's going to literally sign my shoes and literally mop my floor, right? And then others will say, no, 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 no. Uh, Non-Israelites, so Zach, you know, you you look like a non-Israelite, Hebrewsite might say. Uh, Non-Israelites can be brothers with us. They just need to be grafted in and not not presumed to teach us because that goes against God's protocol. So no authority over us. They could teach other Gentiles. They can come in, but they sort of get grafted in, and they have to really go through us. And so the mediator essentially gets replaced, Jesus, and essentially becomes uh, a Hebrew Israelite. And then there's a variety of Hebrew Israelism within that. There's forms that look more essentially like Judaism, and there's forms that look closer to Christianity. There's forms that say it's just black folks, and there's forms that say Hispanics, Native Americans also get added onto who we deem to be Israel. There's forms which adopt their own certain kind of special Hebrew language, which is not really Hebrew at all, called Lashawan Kodash. And um, there's there's all this happening, and the thing is, the thing is growing, it's splitting, and there's a poll that came out by LifeWay Research, this evangelical uh, 
research group right now that's that said that four percent of Black Americans identify as Hebrew Israelites, and if that's true, that equals uh, depending on which demographic you look at, uh, but at least a million and a half people in the United States of America who say I'm a Hebrew Israelite. That's a significant number. Um, now, does that mean they're all organized and all going to Hebrews like, you know, camps or schools? No, a lot of them actually are in churches. And again, if all it was was an identity claim, it wouldn't be a big deal. We could talk about that. But it gets wrapped up in other issues such as salvific issues, ecclesiastical issues, and bad theology starts to follow because people start to discount key chunks of the New Testament, sometimes even altogether, and then have this kind of mutilated understanding of what happens in the New Covenant, along with a mismatched variety of understanding of the Old, and you get some major problems, denial of the And well, that's not even key to their doctrine. It's not, but all this other bad doctrine gets wrapped up. That's why it's essentially it's an unhealthy tendency. The ideology is unhealthy. It's like once the camel's nose is in the tent, uh, the camel gets in the tent. You know what I mean? And so uh, it's an important thing. I'm not saying everyone needs to look into it and understand it, but um, don't laugh at religious groups you don't understand. That doesn't serve anybody. You know, Mormonism may seem funny to you, you know, if you're alive, especially when it started, but now look at it. So we, we need to take these things seriously and deal with them and treat them with respect and seriousness and uh, take them head on. And so that's what I'm trying to be part of doing. There's a lot of great people involved. I'm just one of many, I'm just trying to play whatever little role I have. But uh, again, it's not the only thing I deal with, you know, deal with Islam and some other things, atheism to an extent, but that's sort of more uh, my past adventures. But, uh, you know, we'll see what the future holds because it's an exciting time to be an urban apologist. Yeah, it would be for sure, especially with how diverse this country is getting. It makes it really exciting. So one thing that I would love to hear about is a little bit about like the Hebrew Israelites, Israelites mindset in terms of like logic. So, for example, my best friend, he has been ministering a lot with Mormons recently, and he's run into this issue with Mormons where they'll get to the point where logic doesn't really matter to them. So, for example, he was talking with these Mormons and they basically just said that, like, you know, in the bosom. It, <laughs> they may have just said they basically just said they're like trying to think about how to say it. They're just like logic doesn't really matter to us. We trust God. We have faith in God that Mormonism is true. That's all we need. We don't really need. They, they even try to make a biblical case that we aren't supposed to reason. It really it got down to that. So how do when you how do they react to when you start to reason with them? Maybe first in some of the more positive cases before they would just kind of go like personally after you. And then they actually just want to like talk about these things intellectually. How do they, what does it look like for them? If you understand what I'm saying. Well, there are some Hebrews like to say Christianity, it's the irrational, illogical thing. They'll say, hey, you guys believe in three gods or one God. What's going on with that? You know, uh, for example, that that's a, that's a big one for them. They'll be like, well, the, the center of your whole thing is illogical. It's, it's. It's uh, what's this Trinity thing all about? Uh, so some of them will take that approach, or the, they might say, "So you uh, celebrate Easter when you're supposed to be celebrating the fact that you say Jesus rose from the dead, and yet you mark it by eggs which are laid by a bunny rabbit, 
which we all this is I'm telling you what they would say. I'm not necessarily saying I agree with this appeal. They would say, uh, and we all know that all that is pagan, and yet you do that at your churches. That doesn't make sense. You're the illogical one, Christian. You know, so that they would um some some of them would say Christianity is the the illogical thing. Hebrew Israelite would just say, hey, all we're doing is returning to the laws, statutes, and commandments that Rome and other, you know, interlopers uh, try to distract us from. We're just returning to those very important things that are all throughout the Bible that Jesus himself kept. I mean, if Jesus kept the laws, statutes, and commandments, why wouldn't you? You know, don't you don't you follow Jesus? So some of them, it's more of an offensive track of Christianity is the thing that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so they don't even know. They would be like, not even know. They would. They don't think they have the issue. Basically, other ones will say uh, when you really press them on certain issues, especially this. How do you know you're an Israelite? Well, if you look, our people fulfill the curses according to Deuteronomy twenty-eight. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's just grant that for the sake of argument. But how do you know you specifically, individual, are one of those ones who are actually descended on your father's side all the way back to Jacob? How do, you, how do you know you are? And when you really press them on that, well, listen, man, this thing's a spiritual thing, and ultimately it's a matter of faith, because nobody can trace their lineage back all the way to Jacob. You can't do it. You can you can turn to Deuteronomy 28 all you want and say, in general, it applies to people that you say look like you. You can do that. It's kind of a failed venture, but okay, grant that. How do you know you? That's where, and so their central claim is really based upon a subjective, uh, really an, an internal personal subjectivism that is not really verifiable. Despite the fact that when you talk to a lot of Hebrews, they'll say, We know Christians are racist because we've shown them thousands of documents proving our people's pedigree, thousands of documents, and they don't accept them. And the reason they don't is because they don't believe that people that look like us could ever be loved by God. And so we know it's really racism at the heart that drives Christianity. Uh, they, they'll say stuff like that. So to them, that's the logic. But a lot of them, again, do admit that ultimately it's sort of their version of burning in the bosom, you know, which is something that Mormons used to say. They don't like to say that term as much anymore because people kind of got wind of it. And so there's some that have that at the central root. Other ones will say to me things like this. Well, Vocab, you went to a fancy seminary school where you got trained by a bunch of people who, who this book doesn't even belong to them. And now you're using those fancy words. You're philosophizing and theologizing, but you know we just we just hold to the Bible. I'm going to go to the Bible, and that's how you know that's that's really. So when you press them on sort of logical categories and inconsistencies, some of them kind of fall back into that. It's almost like a genetic fallacy kind of thing. Uh, well, you went to seminary, so we know you have flawed information. You had a European people who taught you, you know, they, they kind of assume these things, people of European descent who taught you. So therefore, you know, the information can't be accurate or something like that. And so, uh, uh, they'll kind of like just, or I'll, they'll say, uh, yeah, vocab is word games. So, you know, when you mention categories of logic or, uh, you know, fallacies, oh, that's word games. No, it's not, it's not a word game. So you have to figure out ways to, um, 
express those similar things that maybe emerge out of classic philosophy. I'm not saying I've mastered this. My buddy Adam Coleman is actually better at this than me. He's really, really solid at doing this. You have to find other ways to state these things and use certain illustrations and examples that help people to see. And again, uh, like I said, I'm still learning. Adam Coleman is really, really good at that kind of thing, really contextualizing certain things to help people see, okay, maybe, maybe there's a flaw here. Maybe there's an error there. But, um, it's it's not it's not a it's not always easy when it comes to try to bringing in categories of logic. It's not always easy. Yeah, I think that's something that can be common across non-believers in really any group. Uh, I want to just close here with one more question. So, when you are ministering to these Hebrew Israelites or really anyone in urban apologetics, when you found success in ministering with them, when they really start to understand the gospel and maybe even decide to accept it for themselves, how, how do you find success? What usually shows you that these people are going to accept the gospel, you know? Well, um, different things happen. Um, I have had a lot of moments, they're usually off camera, where I ask a Hebrew Israelite a question about a passage, a Bible verse, and, um, you know, it's clear it's not one of the things that they've been prepared for. And so they'll say, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, what do you mean? So I'll say, well, let's turn there. For example, the other day I was asking a guy about the Noahide laws. So, you know, the, uh, the way uh, I see it, I think it's, it, and I'm not alone in this, a lot of people see six major covenants in the Bible. One of them being the covenant that God made with Noah, and you can read about it in Genesis 9. So you, you turn there and um, say, well, what about these, these things that Yahweh said to Noah when he emerged from the ark? And you look, and it says things like, uh, hey, you can now eat meat, and you can eat uh, any of the animals that are crawling around on the ground here. You know, and then it says, uh, don't murder, Genesis 9-6. There's the stipulation for capital punishment because you're taking away an image bearer. And uh, I was asking him about these Noahide laws because he was saying that the covenants were identical, that there's no such thing as progression in the covenants, that it's just restatements of covenants. That's a common thing. They'll say the new covenant's not really the new covenant. It's the renewed covenant. And that's actually common with Hebrew roots as well. Hebrew Israelites are not the only ones who make that error. And so the Hebrew roots folks go around saying that as well. And um, you, you'll show them, no, clearly there's different things happening and dis different dispensations, and God chooses how he, how he works it to his glory. But, but now here we are in the new covenant, and things are not identical. We do not need to go to Jerusalem for the feasts. And, you know, these guys that say they keep the law, they don't go to Jerusalem for the feasts either. So they're not really keeping the law. You cannot keep the Day of Atonement without going to Jerusalem. You just you can't. It's not and you get you can't keep it without a temple. Well, that's not happening. So what do we do? Well, Hebrews answers that we don't even need that. Right. And Jesus says one greater than the temple is here. So you'll sometimes see where they have something new they experience or encounter that kind of slows them down because a lot of times when you meet these guys they're like <sighs> running full speed ahead they're like the juggernaut you know the fights the x-men and their experience has just been mowing down christian <laughs> you know and it's like all of a sudden they meet and and people aren't really able to answer anything they actually have pause it's like <sighs> oh and they kind of get they slow down a little bit and actually look at this 
that can be the beginning of a good sign. You know, sometimes what these guys do is then call their camp leaders. Hey, I got a question. And they re-up on sort of Hebrew is like battery juice. And it's like back to the drawing board again. But sometimes it begins this, this little string, this little chain reaction where they're starting to think. And it's like, well, what else haven't I considered? And, and, you're, and, and it's kind of beautiful to see. So that does happen. And so, again, that's why you don't want to do it where you're like, gotcha. You know, it's really like, hey, let me show you this as we study God's word together. What about what about this big question and how does that fit with the overall story? And and I can kind of give a person pause that the Lord's working on their heart. So I've seen that happen, and it's a beautiful thing. Other times it's just the sheer abuse of some of the Hebrews like power structure because some of the camps are super cultic. I'm not saying all. Some of them are, and they abuse their power, and it can get pretty ugly pretty quick. And what we're seeing now is before – People would come out of this, and they've destroyed their whole family relationships. They have nowhere to turn. Now, by God's grace, the Hebrews lights have done the damage, and now they realize, oh, there's Christians online and on the street dealing with these folks. So when I tell them this crazy story I've just lived out, they'll understand. And so these Hebrews lights destroy their own like uh, congregants a lot of times, and a lot of times, by God's grace, they come sort of running into the arms of Jesus via us. Now, again, I'm not saying that always happens. I know a buddy of mine who, you know, he went straight to atheism when he left. You know, it's not good. Sometimes that these cults do that to people. They're like, well, just forget God and the whole thing, baby bathwater all, right? And so um, you see that. But sometimes it's a sheer abuse, and we just need to be there with kind of the open arms. You know, we just need to be there like, I love you. I love you. I'm sorry it took this. You know, we don't want to see people's family fall apart. No, that's not what we're we're hoping for. But uh, we're here. We love you. And so sometimes it's just being there after the uh, abuse happens, and it's a really a long road back to being healthy again for a lot of these guys and gals. So, so those are some of the things that I've seen. You know, but if they're in a group, <laughs> they're not going to show it on their face. But I know guys who were in a group. Christian made him think, and a year later. They are Christians, and this is my buddy Marcus Webb. It's, there's a name with the face. That's his real story, you know, a guy on the street. At the moment, he wasn't going to let up because he knew how to, you know, trick at trick and use rhetoric to, to get the Christian out of there. But it started a chain reaction that the Lord used in his life. And so Christians just need to be faithful because someone will be like, well, okay, why do you do that? You're clearly not paying attention. You don't know. What do you mean? What are these people? Christians are funny sometimes. They they think they know who God is working on and who God's not working on. I'm like, I don't know what's happening with this person. I'll, I mean, I try to be perceptive, but only the Lord knows. So I'm going to be a happy warrior in the meantime and go out there and whatever. So, I mean, same thing with Muslims. I mean, people who deal with Muslims, uh, Christians who they they know the same thing. They know exactly what I'm talking about. And so uh, it's like, all right, let's let's just do it, guys, and leave it to God. And God's been faithful. So. Little by little, we will, uh, by God's grace, see the kingdom of God advance in this area as well as others. Amen to that. Oftentimes, we got to speak to people, not just intellectually, but to their hearts as well. And I think that you showed that greatly. So, Vocal, I just want to say thank you so much for your time, man. I learned a lot, and I'm sure everyone listening learned a lot. It's been awesome. It's always fun to talk and kind of bummed out that you aren't a hip-hop star. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm glad you're doing this, though, because you— I, that video that I watched, I believe it was yesterday or two days ago, that was really good. <laughs> yeah, we have fun, you know. We have fun. That's, uh, you know, I like to freestyle, mess around. I never claim to be the best. It's just something the audience enjoys. And we like to try to kind of create community 
with our live streams, it's not just apologetics and putting stuff in people's heads, you know. It's also creating community and kind of doing fun things and being vulnerable and uh, kind of, you know, having those experiences together also helps create community. And so people, uh, you know, when they watch, uh, you know, the freestyle is kind of a component of that. Although you always get people who complain, oh, no, vocab's freestyling and again. <laughs> but uh, I say, sorry, I guess this isn't the show for you because we're not going to stop freestyling. Not anytime soon anyway. So, so yeah, we, we enjoy, you know, that's kind of a part of my background that gets to come into the foreground every now and then, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean. Definitely got to tune in more because I love to see it. All right. So thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Vocab Malone. If you do not subscribe to him on YouTube, please do. Follow him on Twitter. And that's it. So thanks for guys. thank you guys for listening.